All right, guys, let's take our Bibles. I want you to meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to... It's 7.09, so, you know, I can't lie, especially here in the pulpit. I don't know how much we're going to get through, but I think it's a good little snippet study anyway, um, because there's a lot that we can learn from Achan. If we don't get to the scripture in Joshua, uh, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians right now, but... For those of you that are familiar with that situation, Israel is under Joshua's command. They are in the promised land. Moses was not able to go in because the disobedience in that he struck the rock again a second time out of his anger, ruined an illustration that God had set up. And I mean, you may think, oh, it's just an illustration. It's not a big deal. It is a very big deal. Matter of fact, I read a really pessimistic, foul-mouthed commentary that popped up. Um, not a biblical commentary, but just somebody's outside view on Leviticus. And one of the things he said, by the way, foul-mouthed doesn't mean it was full of cursing. It was just full of blasphemy, to be honest, and very direct. He said, what's the point of repeating all these sacrifices? And in one chapter, it, it'll tell you the exact details. In another chapter, it'll tell you the same thing. You and I who understand the offering of Jesus Christ understand why God had such a high standard for sacrifices. He was showing us that this is how seriously he takes sin. And that's what Jesus took on the cross for every person, even that very self-centered guy I read just a few hours ago. He died for his sin too. God is a God of order and structure and detail. He gives specific instructions to Joshua as they go into the promised land. They've just defeated uh, Jericho. And he says, do not take of anything in the, in the city. The word he uses is, it is accursed. And you may think like, oh, that means it's bad. <clears throat> word actually means devoted. It's set apart. It's set apart for God. So none of the things that were in there were for Israel to enjoy, except for the right to the land. And he said, don't take of anything there, utterly destroy it, and any kind of silver, gold, vessels of iron and brass, you consecrate that to the Lord. That's also consecrated to the Lord. And Achan disobeyed. We see later in Judges 7 that he coveted the gold and the silver. He hid it under his tent. And the whole reason why Achan got found out was because the next battle that Israel went to go face was the first battle that they experienced casualties. They lost 36 men. They were so used to winning that losing 36 men, the Bible says in Joshua 7 that their hearts melted. They were beside themselves. They were so unaccustomed to loss. And Joshua rent his clothes and he threw himself before the Lord and he said, what has happened? And God says, get up. You have Someone has taken of the accursed thing sanctify the people, find out who it is, and I will require their life. And, and Achan was found out, and it went by his house down to all, all of it. The things were brought forward, and Achan lost his life. There's a portion of Scripture there that indicates his family was brought out with him, and there's a specific word to describe who was stoned. It says, and uh, stoned them, plural. So I don't see why it would be far to believe that Achan's entire family paid for his uh, sin there. 
So God takes it very seriously. It was a private sin, singular, committed by one person, but the consequences were public and national. 36 lives, including him and his family. He was coveting. He was desiring something. Another word that's synonymous with that is lust. And the severity of that punishment shows God's attitude towards sin. We'll look at that a little bit later. But here in 1 Corinthians, you have Paul, he's writing and he's saying, he actually spends 15 verses here, for 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 15, giving specific examples of where Israel messed up and how we, and his audience is mixed here. Mixed meaning there's Jews, there's Gentiles. He's talking to the body of Christ now, but he's saying the things that happened that Israel did, we're supposed to learn from them. We're supposed to look at those things. We look at it and we say, we don't do that and we do something else. And he gives that instruction. Look what he says here in verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples. And they are written for our admonition. I'd like you to highlight that word or maybe write it um, in, the, in your notes here. Admonition means attention getting, warning or rebuke. If somebody admonishes you, they're not giving you a, a high five. They're not coming around you with a, a hug and a handshake. Uh, it's a rebuke. The nature of the rebuke can be stern. It can be firm. It must always be loving. That's the difference between somebody who wants to see their brother succeed and somebody who wants to merely get something off their chest because they're angry. You can say the right thing the wrong way. This happens a lot in marriages. You can say the right thing the wrong way, and you're tearing down your spouse. You're tearing them down. That's not the truth in love. That's not Colossians 4, 6. Everything seasoned. That's not Ephesians. Edifying the hearer. It doesn't mean we withhold the truth because it's inconvenient, but we have to be careful how we say it. But Paul is saying very, very plainly here, the things that Israel did, they are to rebuke you. They are to get your attention. It is the warning sign. Warning, warning. This is a problem. You're doing these things. Israel did these things. They had severe consequences. Pay attention. Hello. Stop. All these things are important. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Verse 12. Wherefore, in light of these things, these examples... Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We know this verse. You hear it quoted out of context quite a bit. But you can see from the context here, the person who thinks they stand and does these things as well, you need to take heed. This is the yield sign because you're about to fall. Then he says what we know, verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you such as is common to man, all the things that we struggle with, it's common to all man. But the difference between the temptation that we face and the temptation a lost person faces, we have a faithful God. God is faithful who will not allow or suffer you to be tempted above that year able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So there's all the warnings, and here's the instruction. Wherefore, in light of the fact that God is faithful, 
He's not going to allow you to be tempted above that which you're able, that your temptation is common to mankind in light of all these things. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, which is an expression of care. That's not there because Paul needed to hit a word requirement in his essay. He's saying that because he knows what he's about to say is of extreme importance. Flee from, there's one word there. What is it? Idolatry. I was in the dictionary today, can I tell you? I got some great, very raw, basic definitions from the Greek. Do you know that that word idolatry, broken down, means this? Image worshiper? I'm coming from my generation, which I don't have my phone on me, but let's just say this is a phone, right? It's this all the time. And then edit and post and all this stuff. And then there's other people that they look at their image. And I'm not saying the phone is bad. The phone is amoral. It's what we do with it that causes the problem. But our whole society is image worshiping. And what's the image? Oh, Molech. Oh, it's Chemosh, Ashtaroth, right? No, here's the image. Self. I think, you know, it's called a selfie. I'm not, I'm not, don't go home and say, my pastor said selfies are of the devil. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, idolatry, the root form of the word, means to worship an image. I think that's why God was very specific in the instructions to Israel not to worship a graven image. We can worship even an image of ourselves, not something that we can actually see in a picture, but something we make in our mind, who we are. Pride and all those different things. Paul says to flee from that. Flee from that kind of attitude, that kind of action and behavior. Flee from it. Don't mess around with it. Don't stand there in your own strength and say, look what I overcame. Get away from it. I speak as to wise men, verse 15. Judge ye what I say. What he means by that is, look at the record. Those of you who are wise, you're going to fact check me. And you'll see that these things are true. Look in verse 6. Now these things were our examples to the intent. For this purpose, we should not lust after what? Evil things as they also lusted. Now, just as a highlight, look at the first part of verse 7. Neither be ye what? Idolaters. Okay, so... Idolatry, the worshiping of false gods, literally image worshipers. Okay, so we should avoid that. We should not lust, which means desire or covet like Achan did. That's his folly, by the way. He coveted those material things to the extent that he disobeyed Joshua and brought 36 men's lives to an end, including his own and his family. Tragedy, you'd say, but it's the justice of God. He demands that. He was very clear we got idolatry. Look at the beginning of verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication. And this is the, we, we may think of fornication, right, as, you know, sex outside of marriage. And that's what it is. Their adultery is sex within a marriage that is not involving your spouse. But this is the literal definition of that word. Prostitution of one's body for the lust of another. Okay, so... What's the actual Greek word? Porneo. 
Pornography, we get it right from there. When a person partakes in pornography, it is the digital solicitation of another person's body to the self-satisfaction of somebody else. And people may say, well, you know, we've agreed to it, or we're going to get married, so this stuff is fine. If you're not married and you're partaking in the act which God has said is for marriage, there's a reason for that, then it's prostitution. And you're like, no way. Because the movies have painted what prostitutes really are to us, right? You're not doing what they do. Well, you are selling yourself to the satisfaction of another person for that lust. The Bible says to flee from that, avoid that. Did Israel commit those issues? Yeah, and verse 8 says that 3 and 20,000 fell in one day as a result of fornication. Hmm. So we avoid idolatry, we avoid fornication. The third one is really interesting. This is what I call knucklehead behavior. Okay? And you may say, chapter and verse, and I'll tell you, it's a Jesseology. All right? But this is knucklehead behavior. This is, keep going. Try me. Look what it says in verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Good, we should look at that word. What does it mean to tempt? This means to thoroughly test or scrutinize. And in this context, it's God. We are not supposed to make God meet our standards. Can you imagine if everybody... If, if God said that that was acceptable, that God had to prove himself to you, how many silly wishes would there be? Well, God, if you're really real, you'll make me win the lottery tonight. Doesn't work that way. But that's, we would say, ugh, no one would ever do that. You know how else you can thoroughly test God? You live in unconfessed sin. Yeah, that was Achan's problem. Those men died. Doesn't say how many days went between the victory at Jericho and the battle at Ai, where they suffered that loss. Doesn't say how many days went by, but Achan kept that all that time. He might have even lined up right next to his fellow man, served and trained and prepared, ready for that battle, knowing he had sin in the camp. Doesn't say how much time, it actually does. There was one day between the 36 men that died as a result of Achan's disobedience, which God says was Israel's disobedience, also an interesting analysis. And there was one day that passed, and he's going, Joshua's going through every camp, bring out this person and this person and this person, and Achan still never came forward until he was pressed about it. Tempt not the Lord thy God. Don't be a knucklehead. Avoid that. They were destroyed of serpents, as an example. Then in verse 10, we have the last one, murmur. Neither murmur ye, which means don't murmur, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. What does it mean to murmur? Fun word. It means to grumble, literally to speak against in a low tone. It's like this. <laughs> yeah, buddy, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just keep on walking. Look at you with your blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll show you. It's that. You know what else? You can't hear me, but you know who can hear me? God. Guess what? It also means to secretly complain. This is gossiping. 
This is you have the outward appearance of obedience, but inwardly you're a raging, rebellious person. You've got to be careful of that. We have examples in Israel's behavior in the wilderness that are supposed to be, look at verse 11, and they are written for our admonition. If you think you stand, verse 12, take heed lest you fall. God is faithful. This temptation to worship images, to prostitute oneself, to tempt God and scrutinize him, to complain and talk behind his back, those temptations, it's all common to man. Everybody faces those problems. That's why when I see people that are lifted, their, their pride is so massive that they can't see the, their own selves. And they say things like, oh, that, that stuff doesn't bother me anymore. Especially they have a false gospel. And you're going, unless they change their mind, they're going to stand before God with only their works. By the way, in Matthew 7, where it says, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these many wonderful works? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, it says that don't marvel, don't be surprised that the workers of Satan are uh, looked at as ministers of righteousness. They will be judged by their works. There's only one judgment, as far as I know. There might be two, but there's one that I know of where they are going to be judged according to their works. Do you know what that judgment is? It is the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20, I believe around verse 30. The sea and death and hell gave up their dead and they were judged according to their works. You are not going to be judged according to your works. You're going to be judged according to your profitability. The only thing your works are going to be judged for is what they bear as a reward. But you're not going to stand before God and have your works try to justify you because we have the blood of Jesus Christ paid to our account. Amen? But there are people who go through these temptations just like you and I, but they don't have victory in them. They're like Achan. They see it, they feel it, they're tempted to do it, and they do it. Then they hide it. You and I can act like that, but you better be careful that you're not propping up yourself on a false ground. We talked about the severity of Achan's punishment. Some would say that's a cruel form of punishment. I want you to go to Isaiah 53 in verses 4 through 6. Because you know what? I'm going to tell you this, and I hope you understand my intent. That is a, that is a very high requirement. It cost his life, his children. I mean, that, that's what I believe. I think his family was also stoned. But, and that, it doesn't bother me, but it shows me how serious God takes sin. And I know that God is immutable. That doesn't mean he can't be silenced, although that is true. It means he does not change. So I know God's attitude towards sin in this story, it's the same towards sin now. But what's the difference? There is a difference. God has not changed, but someone intervened for us. Look at Isaiah 53, 4-6. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of peace, the discipline, the punishment of peace 
was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for what? Sin. Achan's sin. Our sin. The sin in Corinth. But look at this. He shall see his seed, that promise that was made to Abraham, that you and I are now brought into according to the teachings in Galatians. He shall prolong his days for how long? For an eternity, folks. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This is talking prophetically about Jesus Christ. When you see the severity that God dealt with Achan, you know he did the same thing to his son. Achan's death did nothing but temporarily appease, temporarily atone for Israel's national sin. Jesus brings about eternal life. That's strong. That's stuff that should sit with you when you're tempted to sin. When you're tempted to do foolish things, say silly things. When you have an attitude of you're, you're, you're tempting God in the way that you're living your life, think about that price that Jesus paid. And be thankful that you have it. That you've got it. You're not waiting for that to be given to you. You have it right now if you put your trust in Jesus. So we say, as Paul said, flee idolatry. How can you say, how do we avoid these things? What's the, what's the step? Very quickly, two passages here. Hebrews 13, 5. Hebrews 13, 5. And I know sometimes things like this get an eye roll, but I think you're only rolling your eyes if you're not satisfied with the Scripture. I'm just speaking plainly. Look what this says. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with the things you're going to get. <laughs> What's it saying? <laughs> with such things as you have. And what, is the, what does the writer of Hebrews say? For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. The promise of security is how we can say, I'm all right. Yeah, my body's falling apart. I just got a cancer diagnosis. I was just in a car wreck. I just lost my job. I'm going through difficult times. I'm in a bad marriage. I don't feel good. But you know what? He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Doesn't, it doesn't bring about immediate solutions to your physical problems, but boy, it helps you up here, folks. It gives you peace. And that brings me to the last one here in Philippians. I'm not trying to minimize the problems. I'm trying to maximize the solution. As the Scripture does, Paul writes to Philippians, or he writes in Philippians, he says, Philippians chapter 4, in verse 12, 11. Not that I speak in respect of what, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, which is lowered, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Here's my solution for you. We be content. This, sorry, it's not my solution, what the Scripture says. We be content with what we have and 
We draw on Jesus for strength. Look at verse 13 in context. I can do all things. When I'm abased, when I abound, when I am full, when I am hungry, when I have no need, when I suffer great need, I can do all things through what? My mental determination and physical fitness? My ability to properly prepare for the things to come? Through Christ, which what? Strengtheneth me. And he says, notwithstanding, ye have done well. He says to the Philippians, you have done well to pray for me, to take me to God in prayer. Doesn't say it here, but he says it earlier in the book, that you did communicate with my affliction. These are the way that we go through these things. How we find victory. You run away from it and you run to the Savior. You can go ahead and close your Bibles. If you'd like a copy of these notes, I can print them out to you or email them to you. Just let me know. I'll be more than happy to do that. I've talked to David about possibly having a little spot on our website where people can download notes and stuff like that. And it's just, it's a lot of work. One of these days we'll have it. If you ever find us on Sermon Audio, we've got a great resource there. You can search the messages by verse. So if you're like, man, I, Jesse was talking about 1 Corinthians, but I don't remember the message title. You can go there and see all that we've done on that. But I pray this is an encouragement to you that you're here tonight. And whatever problems you may have, I'm not denying the reality of them, but I do want you to see well, you have a solution. You have a solution. You don't have to let them things wrap their hands around your neck, I'm telling you. Let me tell you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. For those that are watching on the internet and those in, in the room, we can be reminded of this great truth. This hand represents you and me. This block of sin is exactly what it is, a block of sin. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. There are no amount of good deeds that could ever get us to heaven. You have to be absolutely perfect. You can't turn from enough. You can't start or stop enough. You can't promise enough. You can't pay enough. The only way that sin is paid for is somebody has to die for it. God loves us very much, hates this sin because it separates us from him. This hand is going to represent the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. Came into the world fully God, fully man, was tempted just like you and I were, but the difference with him is none of this. Sinless, because he was God. He is God. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The moment that you put your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, that that paid for your sin, you're given a brand new nature. All that sin is paid for. It'll never be brought on again. And once you're saved from all your sin that you could ever commit, you have eternal life. And that happens immediately upon belief in Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed, please, and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. If you're here on the internet and you've put your trust in Jesus Christ tonight for the first time in your life, maybe this is the first time you've heard the gospel presented clearly. Maybe it's the first time you've understood even how to get to heaven. I encourage you right where you are. You don't have to feel anything or promise anything. You just have to simply change your mind from unbelief to belief. Whatever you thought was going to get you to heaven, change your mind and trust on the finished work of Jesus Christ. The moment that you do, God saves you into eternal life. 
You don't have to work to prove it because you didn't do anything to earn it. He gives it to you all right there. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to study your word. Be with us as we go throughout the rest of our week. Bring us back here safely on Sunday morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, we pray these things. Amen.